Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about the 200 best horror movies of all time list from Rotten Tomatoes. My name is Clay, and with me, as always, is Amanda. Amanda, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I've got my my uh, uh, quarter-inch analog jack plugged into the back of my neck. And I am... <laughs> For the speaking purposes. Yep. And I'm talking through my teeth without my lips moving because my face is just a mask. Shrouded in a robe. Yes. Perched at an organ. Yes. As... as, as I want, That's how I want to be known, I think. That's how I want to go out. When they paint the portrait of me, that's how, what I want it to be. But I can see it. What we're talking about today is number 119 on the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. The Abominable Dr. Fives from 1971. It has a uh, 88% Rotten Tomatoes score. This is our first Vincent Price movie. I haven't checked to see how many there are. I have to imagine there's at least a couple on here. Yeah. Um, and this is this is uh, this is a, one of the more unique ones. Um, maybe not in what the actual story is, but uh, in ev- pretty much everything else. Um, had you had you seen this before? Uh, so somehow I had not, even though I love Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was like a complete and utter treat for me. I thoroughly enjoyed this from the very first moment till the very end. <laughs> this was fantastic. Yeah, this is, um, it's a really good follow up to, uh, the devils, I think, because as I said in the devils yeah. episode, it's, it came out in the same year and it is also just a style overload. Mm-hmm. And there's something about weirdness from the late 60s, early 70s that is unlike weirdness from any other era. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just because like uh, color color film was better, so they were going crazy with colors and lights and stuff, but there's just something something in the something was in the water of that era, and I think it was probably <laughs> acid. I was just going to say and that something was called LSD. Yeah, yeah, cuz you've got like you've got the prisoner in 1968, which is mm-hmm. a, 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 a total trip. Uh you've got the devils in 1971, you've got this in 1971. It's definitely a very unique feeling um that you only get for like a handful of years and the ones that really lean into it are 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 a lot of fun. Um Yeah. I had I had seen this I've seen this movie many times. I, I've uh, uh, the first time I saw it, I can't remember why. I I think I was just at one of those things where I was just digging through horror movies to watch, and you know I like Vincent mm-hmm. Price, and this ended up being on the list. And I had the same reaction you did, where I like from minute one, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is not your standard Vincent Price uh, spooky haunted house movie. There's something weird going on. Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody in the in the production department must have just been high as hell, um, and it's great. It's it's just such yes. a it's such a unique movie. Like I said, maybe not in story, but definitely in presentation. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and play the trailer, and then we will talk about it. Thank you. 
music for a murder or two or three or nine. Who's this? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet a dear friend. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Your wife no fibes. But you I will kill. But you can't, Doctor. I am already dead. Here, how are we going to get him off this? You take his head and I'll take his feet. Let's unscrew him. Dr. Vibes, who samples the finer things of life in his own inimitable way and experiments with fascinating instruments of death. The what, sir? The guitar. The ten curses visited upon the pharaohs before Exodus. Nine shall die. Nine eternities in doom. A curse of boils, of bats. Frogs? Frogs, yes. And the curse of blood. Curse of hail in the bloody middle of nowhere. Probably the most terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. Okay, The Abominable Dr. Fibes from 1971, number 119 on our list. Directed by Robert Fewist, written by James Witten, or Wheaton, I'm going to say Witten, and William Goldstein, starring Vincent Price, Joseph Cotton, Virginia North, Terry Thomas, and Carolyn Monroe as the photo of Dr. Fibes' wife, but not actually her in the movie. Amanda, what happens in The Abominable Dr. Fibes? In a desperate attempt to reach his ill wife, organist Anton Fibes is horrifically disfigured in a car accident and presumed dead. When he learns that his wife died during an operation, Fibes blames her surgeons and plots an elaborate revenge to punish them for their incompetence. With the help of a mute assistant... Fibes creates a mask resembling his own face and murders the surgeons one by one using bizarre methods inspired by biblical plagues. That's more story than is actually in the movie, I think. Um, (laughs) That is the entirety of the plot of the movie. That is that you are never explicitly really spelled out in that order. Yes, that is literally it. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really good place to start because the thing that stood out to me so much on this watch that I never, never really considered, it's actually been a while since I've watched this, but they don't waste any time. They You don't even find yeah. out what's going on for like f- 35 minutes. <laughs> and when you do find out, it's literally one sentence where they're like, oh, Dr. Fibes, his <laughs> wife died on the operating table. Could it be possibly that he's killing all of these people because they were in- instruments in her death? And they're like, well, yeah, probably. That's it. Yeah, probably. 
you are also not waiting, wasting any time because I haven't even told you some things you might find in this movie. Yeah, absolutely correct. <laughs> no time. Would you like to hear those things? No time wasted. <laughs> it's 1971. The, the crank on this band is only going to last <laughs> for a few minutes. We got to get to the good stuff. Or the crank on this uh, single reel projector in your office. Yeah, where you play all your best stag movies when you're yeah. when your secretary leaves for the day. <laughs> well, even though you don't really want to hear them, I'm going to tell you anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, some things you may find in this movie include a brass unicorn catapulted across the street and impaling a prominent surgeon. Probably my favorite line of dialogue I've heard in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And a very inventive way to just kill somebody off. And it's like it's uh. it comes at a point in the movie where <laughs> like the, he has these elaborate setups that he does at the beginning and this one is just literally a bunch of guys walk into a room and then you hear hunk and then they're like ah son of a bitch. And a guy gets impaled by a unicorn. And then they have to get him off the unicorn horn, yeah, and, and they they're, like, it. spinning his body whole wholesale around, so you see his legs, like, half up in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, also, you will find a band that can get really wound up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a literal head shrinker. Yes. Yep. And all art deco everything. Yeah. You gotta just cake it. Cake it in style. Oh, God, yeah. It's just, like, dripping in aesthetics. It's great. But, yeah, so, as I was saying, like, it it, it just it just starts. Like, you get this really crazy sequence of, uh, well, crazy's not even the word. It's just, like, this eccentric sequence of. I think crazy's a pretty yeah, good word for it. Him rising. And I mean that with all affection. Right. <laughs> of him rising up out of the floor in this giant glowing red organ playing God, I love it. organ music <laughs> surrounded by a band of automatons or atom- uh, animatronic people. He's got this woman with him who I don't even think they ever explain what their connection is or why she's helping. Apparently in the original script, oh, she no. was supposed to be a robot. But um, Really? Yeah, but they changed it to a, a person to make it more relatable or something. I don't know. But uh, That's interesting because I was reading things that was talking about how she maybe some sort of like supernatural assistant. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't see that. You'll have to bring that up in a minute. Um, yeah. And uh, it, there's this big music sequence and that, that leads into him um, pulling off the first of nine elaborate tra- uh, execution sequences where I think the first is the first one, the bats, I think is the, ba- I think is the first one. Technically, the first one is not shown. It's the bees. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Yes. So they talk about later on, you find out yes. um, that somebody has died by boils via bee stings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yes, the first one we see is the bats. And can I just say, <laughs> those bats are the cutest things I have ever seen in my life. Yes. Uh, they are apparently... Um... <laughs> they are adorable. Hold on one second. Oh, damn it! I had it in here. They somewhere. look, they look like little like fruit bats or something. They're they're called oh, uh, vampire quote unquote vampire bats were actually flying foxes, which are very docile, fruit loving bats. So yes, yeah, yeah. Come on, I know my bats. <laughs> I've got a taxidermied bat. I've got a bat skeleton. 
yeah, I'm, I'm on it. They they do not look like scary bats. They look like ba- bats you no, would. They, they got like big puppy eyes and little fuzzy faces. Even they in are that the scene, least scary bat. Even in that scene, they just look like they want to cuddle. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, you get this Agree. this elaborate death sequence, and then you get introduced to these goofy cops, and it just goes. It's just. Then, then it's like the next sequence where Fibes does something kind of kooky and then goes off and kills someone in a really over-the-top elaborate manner, like a Batman villain-level manner. And yes. it really... Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, he would be a great Batman villain. I'll have to keep Absolutely. that in mind. Um, <laughs> but like he... Like you get no real story until like maybe a half an hour in when they finally kind of start to put together the pieces of who these people are and somehow it just works. Well, yeah. And one of my favorite things is not only do you not get any real story for the first, you know, if we're we're talking for the first half an hour, what is that? Like almost a third of the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, For the first full 10 minutes, no one speaks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's no dialogue there's no background talking uh there's no music with lyrics in it there's no human voice for 10 full minutes of this like 90 minute movie which is which is i mean i appreciate that i I love it when they when they do that um but yeah it works absolutely works yeah but it's it's very uncommon to run into that in in a movie like especially a movie like this which is like an it's an aip uh, movie from the seventies with Vincent Price. It's it's mostly those are mostly talking. If if we're being serious. right, yeah, especially when you when you have an actor like Vincent Price, who is so iconic in in every way, but also like, but especially with his voice. Yes, like yeah. his voice is so recognizable, and to put him in a character who can't. I mean, he he can speak, but he kind of can't, and he doesn't for a really long time. Yeah, yeah, and when he does, it's just it's like <laughs> if if you thought in any of his previous performances that this is as theatrical and over the top theatrical performance <laughs> as Vincent Price could give, then you haven't seen this movie because yes. he now has to. It's really impressive what he does because he's. As we learn later, he's wearing this mask, so the lips don't move when he talks, but it's Vincent Price's face. And so mm-hmm. he has to, as uh, you hear his voice, he has to like move his throat and like jaw muscles around to make it look like he's talking, even though he's not talking. Without moving any of the other features of his face. Right, yeah. The rest of his face has to be like totally stone. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's impressive. And the stuff he's saying is just like the most over-the-top, ridiculous comic book stuff you can think of. It's like, oh, my, my <laughs> love, you were taken from me, struck down by the evil men who practiced the devil's medicine. And they, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. And Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's great because he projects right, like straight through it, not being able to move his face. He just projects straight through it anyway. And it's, I, we're, we're kind of all over the place, but I mean, I don't really know if there's much to talk about story-wise because we kind of covered it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess for, for, <laughs> for those of you not following along at home, um, the way this movie starts is you get, uh, probably like 
seven minutes of a robed figure playing an organ in his insane art deco layer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he has a dance sequence for like a minute and a half with a beautiful woman dressed in white Mm -hmm. who's unexplained, Mm -hmm. just as he is. Named Volnavia. Volnavia, Which is a name I have never heard before or since. (laughs) And you probably will never hear again. Mm. Um... Yeah, and then we watch a guy get killed by bats, and then we're kind of, the cops come in and, and we're off to the races, where you learn that uh, doctors have been dying in the London area, and this cop, who's kind of bumbling and, and silly, thinks that there's a pattern, his bosses think he's being ridiculous, and then we just get a series of scenes of, like... <laughs> Dr. Fibes, this robed figure, uh, systematically wiping out all these guys via themed murders mm-hmm. of biblical plagues. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of like a sort of inverted Phantom of the Opera to a certain extent where yeah. he's pick instead of uh uh running from people and luring the beautiful woman down to his lair. The, the beautiful woman's been killed, and now he's he's kind of it's like if the it's the sequel to the Phantom of the Opera where he takes revenge because uh, the girl whose name I don't remember in that story gets killed, <laughs> or he's already lured his beautiful woman into his lair because he has Volnavia. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, not exactly the same, but he has this. She's this beautiful mute, um, accomplice who. Yeah, as as we kind of touched on, is is totally unexplained in terms of her her provenance, um, how the two of them connected, why she's helping him, why she obeys his orders, mm-hmm. why she's mute, um, what her whole deal is 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 just never given to you. You just kind of have to accept that she's there. Yeah, and it's it, it's a really interesting movie for a few reasons. Uh, on top of the all the crazy stuff that we've just mentioned. Um, it comes at a point in, in Vincent Price's career where he's already he's already made his uh, name as the horror guy. But in the next, like, four years or three or four years, he does four movies that all kind of fall into the same structure, which is Vincent Price plays a guy who's been wronged and now he's going to get revenge through very themed, very specifically themed murders. Um, ah, so the original Liam Neeson. Yeah, yes, yes. He has a particular <laughs> set of skills, and in this case, it's just shredding the organ. <laughs> um, so he does Dr. Fibes in 71, Dr. Fibes Rises Again in 72, which is basically just kind of like a copy of the, the first one. Except he's he he wakes up after uh, like five years and finds out that his entire house has been destroyed. So he goes after everybody who dest- destroyed his house or something. Um, <laughs> it's not quite as good of a motivation as I think you murdered my yeah, wife. Yeah, that might also be in there. I can't honestly can't remember. Um, okay, he does Theater of Blood in 1973, mm. which is also on our list, which is mm-hmm. very similar to this, except in Theater of Blood. I don't think I'm ruining anything by saying this. He's a um, he's a, a a Shakespearean actor who was um, fuck. He was 
turned on by the art community, like the theater community, which somehow led to his apparent supposed death. And <laughs> now he has come back to uh, take revenge on the people who wronged him and bases every murder on a different Shakespeare play. Perfect. And then after that, Can't wait. in uh, 1974, he does Madhouse, which is I'm, – I'm probably going to use as one of my um, – wild cards at some point because i really really like madhouse mm-hmm. madhouse is is vincent price and peter cushing and in madhouse he basically plays himself where he plays a character called paul tombs who is a oh. horror movie actor who is like a washed up end of his kind of the back nine of his career horror movie actor who was famous for playing this character called dr death and um through Reasons I won't explain here because we should watch the movie. Uh, Doctor Death related killings start popping up, so it's not quite exactly the same formula, but it's kind of the same formula. There's a nice twist on it in, in Madhouse, but it's it, it's when the formula I, becomes like a lot more self aware and kind of meta. I feel like I saw that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm eager to I'm eager to check that one out and see if it's the one I'm thinking of. I don't want to. Yeah, he's got a great makeup in that too. Like the the Doctor Death character, um, it's he's got this kind of like skull painted onto his face, and he's got this big ha- mm-hmm. big black hat. It's a really cool look. All right, okay, this is the one that I, yes, oh god, yeah, okay. it's great. And then honestly, <laughs> I'm excited. After that, he kind of is. He does a lot of TV after after Madhouse. Madhouse is kind of like the last. Uh, big horror movie he does until he starts coming up doing uh well he gets some crappier ones in the in the 80s and stuff but uh he does yeah. does a lot of tv but anyway the, it's yeah. it, it becomes this vincent price formula and we were watching this and i was kind of thinking man this feels like saw yeah and i think you or, or possibly greg said the same thing and this setup is really kind of like a proto version of saw where you have this character at the center of it who has been wronged in some way and is now he's getting revenge by in in both cases very elaborate traps that he's setting up uh the difference being in this one he's just being over dramatic for the sake of being over dramatic and in saw he's actually it's mm-hmm. built to be like a game that <clears throat> that you're not going to win but it's built to be a game that is supposed to expose i don't know something about your character it's been a while since i've seen saw but yeah, yeah, no, you're 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 right. Like, there's something in 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 the Saw movies, if I remember correctly, it's supposed to the the lesson that Jigsaw, the killer, is trying to teach is that you need to like appreciate your life. The people he targets in his in his moral like web are not properly appreciative or grateful or thankful right. for their lives so he pretty much pushes them to the point where it's like what are you willing to do to stay alive and when it's over you should be grateful that you made it through and mm. really truly appreciate being alive and there's kind of a, a similar edge to this especially at the very end yeah well the very end it's literally saw where <laughs> <laughs> I think yes, where it's like I've hidden the key inside yeah. of your son's body. Yeah, and if you, you don't need get as it a out, surgeon, 
if yeah. you don't get it out in two minutes, this acid is going to spill on his face and, and disfigure okay, him for life. Okay, look. It was six minutes. Okay, Let's whatever. not be unfair to Dr. Fibes. Well, I'm, he gave a sporting chance. I'm just assuming, I assumed it was fewer because Joseph Cotton's surgeon was that good that he could have gotten it out that quickly. <laughs> but yeah, that's literally, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. that's literally like one of the first big traps in Saw is the woman with the thing on her face. And it's like yep. the key is inside her own stomach or some shit like that. I can't remember exactly. It's like behind her eye or something. Oh, God. Have you? Yeah. What, what's your What's your feeling on the Saw franchise? Have you seen any or many <laughs> of them? To briefly detour. Well, I, I, I was thinking about because like I've never, I never really got into those. I, I thought the first one was okay, but I, I never really was a fan of a lot of the stuff that was coming out in that quote unquote torture porn era. Mm. Um, but like part of me is like, I don't know. Should we do the Saw series or is that too much? Uh, is that too much? Uh, so I I forget exactly how old I was when the first one came out. Mm-hmm. I was young enough that I probably should not have watched it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but old enough that it was like not a tragedy that I did. Um, but as probably like a young, a youngish teenage girl... I liked it. I, I I actually really liked the first one mm. when I watched it. I, I thought that the twist was, I, I like it worked for me. I yeah. don't know if it was just because I was young and I was into the sort of like shock aspect of it and being able to like, while all the other girls I was friends with were kind of like freaked out and grossed out and didn't <laughs> understand why we were watching this. Um, that my ability to look at it without flinching made me somehow superior, which it obviously did not. Um, yeah, so I don't know how much of it is tied up with some sort of sick kind of pride that I was like desensitized to violence because I had brothers. Well, it also, um, it immediately got you more female friends and attracted the best kind of men to you, right? <laughs> no. What? shockingly the exact opposite that's i that's Um, mean for me to say the horror community is is made of very nice people i just actually didn't know many other people that liked horror movies when i was younger i think that's what this reveals is that like because like the girls i watch this with are still my friends to this day you know (laughs) 20 years later Mm -hmm. and they're they would still probably say to me like fuck you amanda i do not appreciate that you made me watch that Mm -hmm. and that's fine. I respect that opinion. But yes, so the, the Saw movies, they are of wildly varying quality. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, there's some, like, I think the first one's pretty good. I don't remember, I don't think I've seen, like, all of them, because there's so many now. Um, there is but there a were a couple, lot of them. There are so many now. They might actually beat Friday the 13th for the most number in the fewest number of years. Because there was a period really? where they were coming out, I think, literally once every year. Yeah, I think you're right. It was like a Halloween time thing that there there would be one. But there are a few. Of the, there's a couple of the sequels I remember seeing and thinking, all right, that was pretty good. And and then it gets to a point where it almost <laughs> it almost gets to that point like the Fast and the Furious franchise. Mm-hmm. Where the timeline and the chronology of it gets so convoluted that it's like, all right, throw the whole thing out, forget it. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Dr. Fibes. 
Well, just uh, just uh, two thousand four. So yeah, two thousand four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten was a Saw movie every year, and then there Jesus. wasn't another one until twenty seventeen. And then there's a new one that's sort of like a sort of offshoot that's coming out this year. So wow. that's impressive. That might actually, that might be, well, no, because they did set five, five, six, seven. They did seven in six years. Yeah. So that's that's more or less the same. Yeah. Impressive. Damn. Anyway, Dr. Yeah. Fives. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a style of movie that kind of... It sort of predates and sort of um, it. It's a style that goes away because once you hit the the eighties, the it turns into the more of the slasher thing. But it kind of comes back a bit because it's kind of the same vibe as like a Freddy Krueger movie to a point. Because you've got this main character villain mm. who is. Uh, over-the-top theatrical who's who's pulling out all the ridiculous stops in order to to uh, punish the people he believes have wronged him it's uh it's it's an interesting style of movie that of horror movie that kind of disappeared for a while yeah it, it's also interesting because it, it sort of like harkens back to an even older genre of movie like movie and novel where it's 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 kind of in its own way like the count of monte cristo oh sure yeah absolutely yeah you know yeah where it's like this because the count of monte (laughs) cristo was the first Mm. slasher killer (laughs) yeah pretty much (laughs) i won't i won't argue that um but anton fives he's this sort of you learn throughout the movie that he's this kind of renaissance man like he he's he's a, a doctor himself. He's mm-hmm. also a concert organist. Yeah, um, lot of lot also- of really interesting. It, it, I don't even I don't even want to call it backstory, but like little character quirks to explain mm-hmm. some of the weirdness of the movie that I don't necessarily know. I don't even know if you really need to have those. Um, <laughs> like if you need to well, explain, he's a concert. A yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoy that they're there, but they're just—it's these weird things Same. where he's a, like you're saying, he's a, he's a, a a super smart doctor and a concert level pianist, and it's like these are, this guy was a, there's a, this is an interesting person here doing this crazy shit. Well, yeah, and he has to be some sort of uh, mechanical engineer if he's creating his uh, Doctor Fibes's Clockwork Wizards, right. I believe, is what the band is called. It's a sick name. Um, yeah, it's so awesome. I I want there to be like an actual band that's called that. Um but but yeah, he he's this kind of like you learn throughout the movie that that in in normal life he was this extremely cultured, extremely accomplished, extremely intelligent figure who then loses everything mm-hmm. and comes back for revenge. And that's, you know, the classic like Count of Monte Cristo revenge story. It, mm. It's it's older than like an older form and an older tale than a lot of horror stories are. And I think what they do to twist that idea into a horror um, setup is that, unless I am remembering incorrectly, 
there's no conspiracy or anything involved here. It was just that they couldn't Hmm. save his wife. So it's that kind of like keeps it from Fibes being a completely sympathetic character. He's still clearly a villain because the stuff Mm -hmm. he's doing is a perceived wrong that is is not something that was done on purpose to him. It's just it was just his he and his wife. It was just bad luck. It just didn't work out. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No one no one did this to them. Right. But he can't accept that he has to like assign blame mm-hmm. and so he doesn't just blame one doctor he blames nine of them <laughs> right and it's it i mean he, the nurse too like she's yeah that's true uh, uh, not not that these characters are particularly memorable when he's killing them off but like she's the mo- most um memorable of them because she's just kind of, well a she's the only woman in the movie um mm-hmm. and b she's she was just the attending nurse that night and she gets uh, roped in to uh, to the situation. Yeah, and, and killed by like getting essentially like sugar water poured all over yes. her face and then having After... it eaten off by locusts. To talk about elaborate overthinking of a trap. He Oh god. <laughs> he bo- he boils down I think like it's Brussels sprouts. Yeah, it's like vegetables or something. Because the locusts will want to eat the vegetables. So he boils these oh vegetables, this giant vat of like Brussels sprouts or green peppers or something into this. I'm pretty sure they're Brussels sprouts. Yeah, into this goop. And then he, he when the, the nurse goes to take a, a nap, he goes to the room above hers, lays out this see-through anima- anatomical drawing of a woman over roughly where the bed would be. It's also like barely anatomical. It yeah, looks yeah. almost like a female version of the uh the, the the game board of operations. Yes, yeah, without the big red nose, but <laughs> Exactly, but you know, with boobs instead. Mm-hmm. That's a better game. <laughs> um and that he lays that out on the floor only so he can line the drill up with like her face, which when you think about it for a second it's like, well, why would he why does he even need to do that? Um it, it, the answer is he doesn't. Right. Drills a hole through the floor, through the ceiling, and then drips this goo onto her face, covering her whole face, and then pipes in a bunch of locusts who then eat her face off and everything till death, which never wakes he her up. Even, he doesn't even just pipe it onto her face. It starts like over on the bedside lamp. Yes. And then yes. he, he like, His saturates aim. its was terrible like that that thing he put down on the ground did him no fee he was off by like a foot and a half and it didn't matter nope, still um i i think she didn't wake up because i think the doctor um who was the like uh, like uh, i don't know if he was like the head surgeon or, or what, whatever vesalius mm-hmm. um tells the nurse well you should take a sleeping pill right right that's right yeah so i think she's like <laughs> you know mildly drugged out um which in my opinion still doesn't explain not waking up while locusts uh devour your face yes you would you would hope you would wake up if that were to start happening uh, yeah um what yeah. it made me think though uh this is an interesting um kind of uh movie from the era that that we've talked about before uh, where 
horror movies were still very masculine driven movies where you hear your heroes were usually men um mm-hmm. and the the women were usually there to be saved it's actually kind of oddly uh per- progressive isn't the right word but the fact that the woman gets killed is like oddly unexpected in a movie like this from this time um mm. but still yeah and and Fulnavia is kind of a, a weird character too yeah she's not really she's <laughs> kind of like a lackey who's just kind of there to look cool but she doesn't really she's not really much of a character she is just kind of there um but the, mm-hmm. the main driving force are these two men and i was thinking like if this movie was made now, I think the biggest difference would probably be A, well, I don't know. This could, A could go either way. I was going to say A would be that there was some sort of conspiracy against Fibes, but B would, mm-hmm. but B I think would be that the nurse would probably be the one who survives because she seems to be like – it it seems like she is the more tangential character who ends up getting like roped into this thing and i could see her being more of the focal point you could honestly i think you could collapse you i i don't love cops in these movies cuz anytime there's a cop story that shows up in a movie like this it's always just them doing quote unquote detective work which means they tell you exposition about the story and it's never great mm-hmm. um, it's kind of fun in this because the cops are so goofy but like you- I was going to ask you about this and how you, how you felt about the uh, the cop subplot in this one yeah but uh, I think you could probably if you go it this other way where you put more focus on the nurse I think you could collapse the cops more or less out and have all of like the exposition stuff done with her uh, but this is just me spitballing what like a modern what a modern version would be because I think I think this is from an era that is f- pretty different than the era than the the modern kind of horror that we have now. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting question because it's it's funny. I feel like you and I would would I feel like you would agree with this. Sometimes when we talk about modern horror, I have to differentiate, like, early to mid-2000s horror and then the last, like, five or six years of horror. Sure, sure, yeah. Because if we were talking, like, 10-ish or maybe a little more years ago, um, I think the nurse would would have been turned into a really vile character to justify her death rather than... having her be the one that survives. But yeah, that that's I th- I think if this movie were remade, there would be some sort of gesture maybe at having her be the heroine or having her be able to reach vibes on some sort of like emotional level. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm actually really glad this movie doesn't do that. Sure, yeah. Um because I, I think it, it speaks to the certain blindness that Fibes has where it, real guilt and real innocence doesn't matter to him. Mm, yeah. He just wants to take his pain out on anyone associated with his wife's death. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. Because they're all innocent in the end, you know? N- none of them intentionally, like, like you were saying, there is no conspiracy in this movie where they, like 
actively tried to kill her or killed her through neglect or one of them screwed up and killed her through neglect and then the others are covering right right there there is none of that in this movie it's it's they were all as far as we know as an audience trying to do their jobs and it just was unfortunate but it happened um but yeah i mean it is it is interesting to think about what this movie would look like if it were redone now I feel like it would lose a lot of the style and a lot of the mm. weirdness that makes me enjoy it so much. Yeah, I think this is the kind of movie um, that you can't really remember. I think I, you know, I, I, it's I, it's so on the line because, like, if you if you were a small company that let people just do what they're going to do like a 24 or whoever's doing those Osgood Perkins movies where they're Uh just like, you know what? (laughs) You got a great looking cameraman. You got a cameraman with a great eye. You got a really cool looking style. Go (laughs) great looking. I mean, he is a hunk. (laughs) Gosh, he is such a hottie. Yeah. He rolls. He's got a great beard, rolls up those shirt sleeves and leans into that viewfinder. Ooh. Ooh. Um, but you know, like someone with style, uh, who could do something really visually interesting with this without a lot of interference? Like I'm not like a big studio, big budget kind of remake. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. But even still, I think you would need. It, it'd be very tough to to recapture any of the 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 charm and this. It's it's such a strange movie because it like it's very charming. It's weird, it's campy, it's creepy, mm-hmm. but it's none of those things. They all kind of like work together really well. Like the mix is just right for the time. And I think I think that's just part of it too is it was a weird time for movies, which genre movies and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it's a tough one to, to try and even in the second, they even tried to do it again the next year and it just didn't quite work the same way. Yeah, it's definitely one of those, um, like, lightning in a bottle moments where it's just, like, you had the right elements come together in the right way at the right moment, Mm -hmm. and you got this movie, but it doesn't feel like the sort of thing you can create intentionally. Yeah, Um, I, I, you know, it's funny, because I feel like you might be able to do it if you did kind of like a Suspiria kind of thing with it. Where it's sure you're gonna remake it, but whoever's doing it, the remake has their own like solid vision of the way that they're gonna approach it. Yeah, I, I can see that, and it's it's funny that you <laughs> that you brought up that can, comparison because I feel like in the last few movies we've done, we've had a couple breaks here and there, but I feel like we've been pretty solidly in this like '70s pocket. Yes, yeah, we've done. Um... Let's see. We've done uh, Doctor yes. Fibes. Then we did mm-hmm. before that. We did the Devils, and we did the Sisters. Uh, Hereditary mm-hmm. was obviously from the last couple years, but then before that was Deep right. Deep Red. So uh, one, two, three, four, five. Four of the last five have all been from like 1971 to 1973. <laughs> yeah, we've been in a really tight little, little like realm mm-hmm. <laughs> time wise. But this this did remind me. A lot of deep red in a lot of ways. Sure, yeah. And it's it's funny because I kept kind of comparing this in my head 
to both Deep Red and The Devils. And I, I kind of was thinking, like, all right. I really like, I like, I love this movie. Mm. Like, doc, I love Dr. Fives. <laughs> I still have very complicated, <laughs> uncertain feelings about The Devils. Mm-hmm. As you should. Well, thank you, because I, I feel like it's the sort of thing I should <laughs> really immediately glom onto and like, and I just, there's something in it that I'm like, what, what is, what is the block for me with this? Mm-hmm. And I realize that Deep Red is kind of the step in between the two. Oh, sure. Yeah. And part of it is that I think, I think that the Devils is just trying so hard to be this, like, heavily plot-driven, really existential, big concept movie. Mm-hmm. While at the same time being, like, huge in terms of aesthetics. Like, huge sets, big striking visuals, crazy costumes, crazy, like, everything you're looking at. And then also the overload on sort of, like, plot and history and thematic Mm -hmm. concerns. Mm -hmm. And it's just so dense in so many ways. And then Deep Red is, like, a step down from that a little bit where it is still very visually striking it's still very plot heavy to the point of being convoluted at times and then dr fibes is kind of this like base level distillation of both sure where like it has a really unique aesthetic it has a really strong visual style it has a plot but like not as as kind of huge and complicated as the plots of those other two movies. Mm-hmm. And I think that just makes it more immediately approachable. Like, you, you can dive into it really quickly because all you really need to know is weird-looking crazy dude is killing people. The cops are trying to stop it. Right. And it's also, I mean, the movie itself is is not... Um, how do I How do I put this? Um... Doc, the Dr. Fibes stuff is as campy as it is, is played dead serious. Like, yeah. there is nothing that is tongue-in-cheek about Vincent Price's performance. He is playing Dr. Fibes as this, sh- like, Shakespearean-level tragic character who is has this bloodlust for revenge. Mm-hmm. Everything else in the movie is ch- fucking goofy as hell like (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) like they 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 know that this movie is not to be taken seriously uh the cops are caricatures at best um the main cop is his name is detective trout which Uh leads to like a runner joke where his his boss keeps thinking his name is a different fish which they do a couple times just for the sake of doing (laughs) you know um and it's like that stuff is all kind of goofy and um, it's just there's a level of I mean you've got the scene where uh, m- most of the people who get killed are already incapacitated when it happens um, mm-hmm. except for the ones that I remember the uh, the guy in the plane with the rats but more memorably the one who's waiting for his housekeeper to leave so he can fire up the old 16 millimeter projector to watch a stag film uh, while he's yes. having a cocktail or whatever which <laughs> 
I I I want I want a whole movie about his relationship with that um, housekeeper because after he's killed, <laughs> the cops talk to her and she takes it really well, and she just kind of yeah. at the end she's like, well, you know, things happen, and then she just kind of leaves. And so I don't know what their relationship he was good was. to me yeah, in his way in his way, but it's <laughs> like it's very goofy. It's very it's a it's a it's a nice balance to how seriously how serious Dr. Fibes is about what he's doing because mm-hmm. if it wasn't kind of tempered by that I think it would be it, I don't think it would work as well um yeah, like that yeah. that level of self-awareness needs to be there somewhere if you're playing with this guy who is who performs with a animatronic band and bases these elaborate traps off of the <laughs> plagues of the Bible. Like you've got to, unless your movie is seven, you've got to temper that with something with a little bit to realize like, yeah, we know this is kind of silly. Right. Right. You can't, you can't have everything uh, around Dr. Fibes sort of drenched in like purples and, mm-hmm. and like, you know, white and like sparkles and then art deco, shiny pink tiles. And then also he's torching the wax effigies of his enemies and have yeah. that be played entirely straight. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you can't, there's, I think the big difference between this and the devils, and even if you want to throw mm-hmm. deep red in there too, um, there's a underlying nastiness to the devils that this yeah. and deep red even deep red doesn't really have like deep deep red is violent it's a lot more bloody and it's a lot mm-hmm. more like you know really kind of get you to squirm but there's still mm-hmm. that little bit in there of just like it's showmanship and it's it's it isn't as just straight up nasty as something like the devils is where everybody in the movie is a, har- a terrible person. The point of the movie is kind yeah. of that everybody is terrible, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's actually what I was kind of starting to think about while we've been talking about this is that like maybe part of my resistance to the devils is the fact that there's no, there's no easy doorway for like pathos. Like there's, right, there's right. no, like, I mean, I guess kind of the char- the the woman he marries, sort of, but even not really. Um, and she disappears for so much of that movie. It's it's maybe a moot point. But in Deep Red, as goofy and ridiculous as the plot can kind of feel when you like spell it out, the main protagonist seems like a good guy who's mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in Dr. Fives, like, the goofy police are goofy, but but uh, <laughs> Trout there is, like, he's actually right the whole movie. Yes, yeah. Like, he, he's, he's kind of ridiculous and he's played for laughs, but he's correct and he's trying to stop people from getting killed. Um, Dr. Vesalia, Vesalius, who's, who's kind of the, the head surgeon... It seems like a you know maybe he's a little condescending, but he but he actually seems like an okay guy. Mm-hmm. No questionable um, parenting in this movie. If you guys didn't yeah. notice, and he has a son who is very clearly dubbed by I want to say like a forty year old man doing a kid voice. Is that is this a case of um, questionable childing? Possible. I my theory. Instead? 
My theory is like either they cast him too old or like mm. his voice was in the middle of changing or something. And so they oh. had to do like oh, a kid's voice. Yeah, yeah. That's my that's my theory. I don't I don't know if any of that's true, but Yeah, I I don't know. I I guess I guess there's just like this movie hits that right level of like ridiculous schlock mm-hmm. and like old school horror tropes you know his hideous disfigured face when he takes the mask off which, and, and the weird layer and all of that which is fantastic i i that was oh, God. that was the part the first time i saw this that really cemented my love of the movie is when he's in the process of he's monologuing as the acid is about to spill onto Vesalius's son's face. And he's, and he says, you know, it will turn him into something awful like me. And then he pulls his face yeah. off his mask <laughs> off to reveal this, you know, monstrous scarred up face, which is not unlike, um, uh, house of wax, uh, from mm. years ago that he, that Vincent price was, in. I guess that's kind of like the, the Genesis of this, Vincent Price kind of run of this character is more or less House of Wax, I think is a similar kind of setup. But it's got the same yeah, kind of yeah, thing where he's spoilers for hundred year old movie, but uh almost <laughs> hundred year old movie. In that one his face is a wax mask. And at a certain point, somebody s- grabs his face and it, the fingers just go in and it cracks open and it's, it's awesome. So great. But yeah. um yeah, it's great. That's that kind of stuff is always excellent. Um, I forgot what we were talking about. That's okay. Like I can change the subject. Well, before we do, I, <laughs> I, I just wanted to say like, um, on the nastiness thing, um, I think that's what turns me off to movies like saw is mm. that era of, of horror movies. Everything just felt so nasty and like not in a, like even even you know even your your gnarliest uh slasher movie from the late 70s early 80s it's not just there's not like a a base level of grimy nastiness to it even like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not completely just nasty in its entire uh there's something enjoyable to it otherwise people wouldn't enjoy watching it and i People apparently enjoy the Saw movies. I I don't think that I do, but like Saw, <laughs> that kind of stuff, like Hostel, it it's kind of yeah. it's kind of the same sort of thing as I was saying about um when slasher or regular horror movies have these characters who get killed off, but the characters are all nasty people. So you're you're waiting mm-hmm. waiting to see them get killed. It's like no, they just I don't like spending time with these people. I don't give a shit if they die. And it's just there's that underlying level of nastiness to, that makes it that much harder, I think, for for a lot of people to, uh, my at least myself, to, uh, to really get in into and appreciate. Whereas this doesn't have that, so I think it's it's easier to to appreciate. Yeah, I I understand that. And I totally agree with that. Like, there's actually been, I feel like we're maybe getting away from it now, but. There was even, like, a a similar trend in, like, contemporary fiction where a lot of, like, novels and and protagonists and characters, it was just, like, kind of shitty, miserable people being shitty and miserable. Sure. 
and and having very few to no redeeming qualities or moments and then you had to just kind of like read in inside of their heads for 330 pages and then the novel was over um and yeah that, that kind of thing makes it really like you i think you can still have novels and movies and art and things like that that are important and and can do different things but it makes it really hard to enjoy them right like they can be edifying or educational or whatever you want to say but that doesn't mean that they're like something you finish reading or watching and then you want to do it again right right yeah 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 uh did you have a direction you were going to change the subject to before um, I mean, I don't know if this is like a direction so much as just something I found like interesting and fun about mm-hmm. this movie is that for a movie that's so like campy and kind of like non borderline nonsensical at times and like <laughs> very uh style over substance, it has this really interesting preoccupation with art. Mm. Um, like Dr. Fibes himself as a musician is an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, everybody in this world has like, I don't know, like, like, like serious level art in their homes. Like, um, the, the, the doctor who they, they, they take out all of his blood has like, paintings of like Lita and the swan on, on his wall mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. um Dr. Vesalius has this like uh, like I don't know all these art objects around his house it's really interesting to me that like music and film and painting and even the fact that somebody's killed with a unicorn statue mm-hmm are all these, like, deep concerns with, like, the creation and use of art, which I I feel like you could read way more into that in this movie than maybe even the people making it would have realized. Oh, sure. I mean, he's got, after he kills everybody, he melts a clay statue of their face, you know, which which those statues had to be made by somebody, so clearly, (laughs) I guess he's an expert sculptor, or maybe uh, Volnavia is an expert sculptor. Well, and he has these these amulets with the Hebrew sim like like Hebrew. I don't know if they're letters or symbols. Mm-hmm. I, they don't really fully explain it, but it, it, they represent each plague. He has these like the pieces of jewelry, these medallions made that are art pieces that he then puts on each <laughs> like bust of each doctor as he burns their face off. It, it's just it's so concerned with aesthetics that it becomes like a philosophy mm. and i don't even know if they realized it well they, they they probably did and i'm probably being pretentious by acting like they didn't but um it's just interesting to me that for a movie that's so really not concerned with like realism or mm-hmm. plot or kind of like adequately explaining anything <laughs> that it's so into the art world well i mean if you want to if you want to get in go down that road you could argue that like everything he's doing is kind of an art a living art piece to a certain extent you know because he's he's uh 
composing all of his shots very specifically where he's got the yeah. guy seated, seated in the chair. He, he bleeds him dry. Then he, he puts the bottles. He leaves the bottles behind specifically to be found. Um, the, yeah, he's like creating tableaus. Yeah, yeah. It's And there's a whole – there's a, a, a level of uh, ceremony built into everything that mm-hmm. um, – I was kind of surprised. I've always been kind of surprised that when he loses the one necklace, that it's not a bigger deal, because it seems like that kind of thing where it's like he has this sort of almost OCD um, ceremony built into these things that he's doing, revolved around him wearing the necklace while he kills the guy, and then he puts the necklace on the bust or something. So, like, if he loses the necklace, then he can't finish the the piece or something like that. Um, but that's not. Yeah. It's it's just. He just loses it for for it to become a clue, which in my one of my favorite police scenes when he <laughs> takes the thing to the jeweler and the jeweler's like, yeah, I know what this is. I made it. He's like, oh, great. Well, I'll see you later. And then as the cops leaving, leaving <laughs> the jeweler goes, you want me to tell you what it says? <laughs> right. <laughs> Would you like to know what it means? Yeah. Like it, it's <laughs> Trout is not a good is not a good cop. He's he's very much a screen written cop where he's only there to facilitate exposition whether or not it is from him uh or somebody else he's not even really asking the right questions to get the answers that he's given but you know he he's he's there for for why he's there yeah yeah he's he's there mostly for comedy's sake yeah what how do you do you think they go too far with the comedy stuff with the cops or do you think it works I think it works because I I don't think it's ever it's it's never like gratuitous or like slapsticky. Well, um, except for when they have to unscrew well, the guy from the wall. All right, maybe it goes maybe it goes a little farther, yeah. but I thought that was I thought that was legitimately funny. Uh, it is. It is very funny. <laughs> but I think it goes back to what you were saying about like if you're going to have this like extremely over-the-top character like Dr. Fibes, and we're gonna play that half of the movie perfectly straight um, with, like, not a not a tongue-in-cheek moment to to his entire... Like, anytime Dr. Fibes is on, uh, on, on screen, Vincent Price is playing him completely seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think to make that level of absurdity and that level of, like, over-the-top dramatics work... You kind of have to add some levity somewhere right. where the movie acknowledges that, like, no, we don't think that this is realistic, and right. we're not trying right. to make it realistic. We're kind of more just going for like the visuals and the mood than we are any sort of like factual representation of life. Right, right. You know, I was just thinking, uh, Brian De Palma three years later makes Phantom of the Paradise. Have you ever seen that? No. I we should watch that. I would be interested to watch that cuz I've seen it once and I didn't like it. Um hmm. I'd be interested to see how you feel about it. It is a disco era retelling of the Phantom of the Opera. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> Complete. It's like a musical. It's got songs and everything built into it. It's uh I wonder now if any of that was spurred on by this because this like I said, this does feel like a weird, super aesthetically stylistic version of inversion of the Phantom 
uh, without explicitly being Phantom of the Opera, whereas Phantom of the Paradise mm-hmm. is just literally the Phantom of the Opera, but it's in a disco instead of an opera house. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested because this was a fairly, I think Fibes was a fairly well-known movie at the time, or it did pretty well when it came out. So Yeah. Um, interesting yeah I'd, I'd 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 be down i'd watch that yeah we'll have to i i don't know if i want to waste a <laughs> a wild card on it maybe we'll watch it on uh, for a patreon thing or something yeah yeah um as far as the music goes we we talked about there's a prevalence of heavy organ music that he plays backed with this like wind up kind of swing band uh, that plays like jazz standards <laughs> and great. stuff. It, it's it's so great. unique and so interesting. Um, and on top of that, Doctor Five, the Abominable Doctor Fives actually has life uh, has life in heavy metal as well. Um, there is oh, a really? yeah. There's a song called "The Abominable Doctor Fives" by the Misfits from a later Misfits album. And of course there is. The, yeah, it's it's from the era where like they were just picking movies and naming songs after them. Yeah, <laughs> where like the early ones, it's like oh yeah, it's kind of obscure and fun, and it's like the album is called American Psycho. It's got a song that's just called The Abominable Doctor. Like it's just they're just na- <laughs> picking horror movies to name stuff after at this point. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah, why not? Yeah, it, it, it sometimes it works. There's actually in the in the Friday the 13th game, there's a Misfits song called Friday the 13th, which is just about Friday the 13th. And it's 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 a fun. It's not like it's not going to blow your mind. It's not one of the better Misfits songs, but it works. Um, yeah. And uh, it, there's also there was also a band, a new wave of British heavy metal band called Angel Witch. That has a song called "The Abominable Doctor Fives." Both songs are instrumentals. Interestingly enough, I guess they couldn't bring themselves to write lyrics. Even, even, even for those <laughs> bands, lyrics about this movie would probably sound silly. I'm just going to say that they were probably just trying to adhere to the aesthetics of the movie <laughs> and go with that nice, like, 10 solid minutes in the opening of of uh, no dialogue. Yes. Yeah. I will say yeah. the Angel Witch song is better than the Misfits song, but that's just my, my personal viewpoint. Um, <laughs> so what do you think? The Abominable Dr. Fives, number 119 on our list. Do you like the placement? Do you think it should be higher, lower, or do you think it should be removed altogether? So I I think it should still be on the list. Mm-hmm. I think 113 is... 119, sorry. Oh, 119, I'm sorry. Um, 
it matters on I, this list because it could it, it does. next week it could be actually we've held everything has been the same for a while now there's been no shakeups but tomorrow who knows and now you've now you've uh, jinxed us I know. so it'll all change um i th- i think it should be closer to 200 probably mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i don't know exactly where i would put it but i just i always keep coming back to like the shining and the thing right and right. and movies like that that tend to be in the like i don't i don't have the list up in front of me but i know like the thing was somewhere in like the 130s the thing is i just had it in front of me here um uh, i have the list in front of me and i still can't see it <laughs> what the hell? Uh, the th- John Carpenter's The Thing is number 135. All right. So if we're, if we're basing it off of that, and like, there's always this kind of underlying current for me where it's like, all right, if this is a list of the 200 greatest horror movies, the, the, the ones closer to one should be scarier. Sure. Yes. Right? And th- this movie is fun. There are all sorts of horror elements and horror tropes, but it's not a scary movie. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely have to bump it, like, up closer towards 200. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it is ahead of some pretty heavy hitters. Uh, there's, between Fibes and The Thing, there are some movies I've never heard of, which I can't imagine I will agree that they are should be ahead of the thing. Um, <laughs> but you've got The Exorcist at 123, The Omen. Oh, God, yeah. The Omen at 127, American Werewolf Come in London on. at 129, uh, Dead Alive is 134. So there, there's a, yeah, I would agree. I think it, I would keep it on the list because it is so unique and so different. Um, but yeah, I think I would put it a lot closer to 200 i would probably yeah i'd probably put it somewhere past 150 i think if i had to yeah throw a dart at it yeah i i agree and it's it's just purely because it, when you're when you're trying to like narrow down all the horror movies to just like the top 200 i i do think that like the fear factor has to be an element sure. that you sure that you take into account when you're rating these things. You're talking about Fear Factor, the reality TV show where people eat bugs and stuff? God, yeah, of course. Isn't that the only way you can use that phrase? Yes, I believe it is. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get royalty payments anytime anyone talks about it. Unless you're talking about Fear Factory, the band, but... <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that's going to do it for us with The Abominable Dr. Fives. This is another one, much like The Devils, that is... It's it's easier to find generally, but right now when we're recording it, it is actually very difficult to find. Um, but it's on YouTube. It is. It is on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube uh, for, free. for free. Or there's some random Roku channel I found that had it. I don't even remember. It was called like TV.studio or something that sounds like fake. <laughs> Movie Land Studio. Yeah, that's something like that. Um, and I think you can still find it on DVD and stuff. There's no U.S. Blu-ray release, which 
Such a bummer. Yeah, it's just another reason I need to get a uh, international region free Blu-ray player because there's a great one that was put out by Arrow Video that play that's that's in the UK, but it won't play over here. So one day, one day oh. I'll get it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you could find it, should definitely check it out. I would definitely give it a watch. If you happen to be a little drunk or high when you watch it, probably helps. Uh, it's not going to scare you. It's not going to scare you, but it's it's definitely a good time and it's a good laugh. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely fun. It's it's a good movie. I feel like it's probably a great movie for like Halloween ambiance. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like throw it on in the background when you're hanging out with like your family or your friends around Halloween to just like have something kind of vaguely weird and spooky on the TV. I would definitely say so. Yeah. So I'm going to hit the randomizer. After Amanda has just slandered the 1970s today. Oh, boy. She is going to get her wish. We're jumping all the way up to number nine, which is 2020's The Invisible Man. Okay. Which I'm going to tell you right now, that's a good movie. I don't think it's the ninth best horror movie of all time. So uh, grain yep. grain of salt yep. with that one, but um, yeah, thank you guys, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you want to give us a rating review on iTunes, I should. I, do people even do that anymore? I don't even know if people do that. I should probably just stop saying it. it sounds desperate. <laughs> uh, we are we are still doing the Friday the Thirteenth series on Patreon. If you want to join us over there at the uh, patreon.com slash the Penske file. Just uh, last month we did. Friday the 13th, the final chapter this week, this month. We're going to be doing Friday the 13th, part five, a new beginning. And Can't wait. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for checking this out and listening. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clyde. And we'll see you next time with The Invisible Man. Bye, everyone.